we are here with Niall Rogers. My goodness, I have so many questions for you. You just signed my book, uh, La Freak, that uh, you put out a few years ago. It's a really good read. Thank you. It's really, it's a Thank labor you. of love. Now, this was written after, you know, you had a second lease on life. Yeah. So uh, so you were com felt compelled to, to tell the whole story? It was an interesting thing that I told almost the whole story. <laughs> um, what, what happened was uh, when I got to uh, the end of the book, I was diagnosed with cancer and it was quite aggressive. So I called my mom and I said, mom, you know, um, they've just diagnosed me with extremely aggressive cancer. And she started crying. She lost it. Mm. So then I lied to her. And in the book, I lied. I said, I lied to my mom and I called her back and said they misdiagnosed me. Mm. But that's the only thing that's not factual. And so and so after that, you you were very aggressive to getting yourself yeah. back on track. Yeah, no kidding. And and then it did it happen again? Can you believe it? <laughs> uh I had gone um eight years, everything was great. And um just about to go on stage, we were touring with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and uh, I was suffering from uh, God. What was it? Um, you know, uh, the the horrible pneumonia. No, no. Oh God, no, no, huh. it wasn't pneumonia. Um, the uh, the um, it's it's one of the diseases that we get uh, typically when we eat like. Uh, you know, bad for gout, diabetes. No, 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 no. An, an infection like, uh, like, E. coli. Uh, like e, yes. e. coli. There it was. Uh -huh. E. coli. Thank uh -huh. you. I was suffering from E. coli poisoning. Uh, and thank God, because E. coli saved my life. Could got you to the because hospital? Because they got me to the hospital. Uh. And when they went around searching around my lower GI tract, they said, hmm, hmm. we see something in your, uh, kidney uh that right your right kidney that looks remarkable mm -hmm. and uh and they checked and they said my god there's two forms of cancer forming uh in your right kidney and it was early in development two so, forms two forms yeah. wow so they were fighting for dominance and this is already after beating this already after yes and so and that was how long ago that was just a year and a half ago and how are you doing now? Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> we do about two hundred and something shows this year. Oh my! Um, and and you, I know a lot of those shows are on on the uh, Here We Go Again tour with Cher. With Cher, yeah. And Kill so, them. but tonight you're at the the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. And so, uh, when do you rejoin the Here We Go Again tour? Cher, we hook up with in November. Oh, in November. Okay. So yeah. now you, you guys are just out there on your own. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So listen, I have so many questions to ask. We don't have that much time, but um, let me just get into it. And uh, 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 and first of all, thank you so much so, for doing this. Oh, and I'm so on. happy that you've you. got your health, which oh. is everything. I mean, you're very, uh, you're a very wealthy man, but we all know that health is wealth. That's true. And that's because once you do it all and you become famous, you get the money. After if you don't have your health, you ain't got a goddamn no, thing. No. Yep. So, all right. So, with, okay, I'm going to start with the chic stuff, okay? Okay, cool. All right. Now, um, in folklore, uh, after you finished the Diana Ross album, the album was confiscated from you by the label yes. and, and hijacked. 
And uh, apparently Diana and Russ Tirana took the album and remastered it Correct. Uh, for, for themselves. Correct. And that is the album that we hear today. But Correct. Uh, 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, uh, your version. Spotify put, yeah. Put, they out. put yeah. out your version of the album. Right. That's when right. I heard your version of the album, the Russ Tirana one is better. <laughs> Because I'll tell you why. There is a guitar lick at the end of Upside Down as it's fading down. And we learned this early on. I'm a music file. Early on, you, you learn that when you make a 45, you put something at the very end that the listener has loves and has to play start the song all Starts over again to get back yeah, to yeah, that yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, there is a guitar lick. That Michelle and I used to work at KTU Radio in New York. And whenever they play Upside Down, I tell the engineer... Don't cut it off before that guitar lick. Don't <laughs> fade it out before. I already know the you lick. You know the lick. That lick is not in your version of Upside Down. Right. So um, uh, be, uh, answer to that, please. I well, mean, because the lick is actually there. It's just way later. Further. Yeah. Further down. <laughs> right. Right. Because they see what, what they were doing is we were trying to um, expand Diana's um uh audience because she had to us she was like our queen it mm -hmm. was like diana needs to go to this next level she mm -hmm. was coming off the boss which was amazing mm -hmm. and we thought like well let's do some more experimental stuff with her so we looked at diana ross as a thoroughbred and we knew that a lot of what motown had done with her was sort of kept her in a cage mm -hmm. and that's why we wrote Upside Down, I'm Coming Out. This was an album to say, hey, Diana, this is about you. Uh -huh. And so our concept was, if you have a thoroughbred, let her run. Yeah. Like, listen to the other parts of the album where you see her riffing and doing uh -huh. things where she isn't doing on the, the commercial album. Uh -huh. But uh, we felt that it was time to let Diana do that. Yeah. There, um, uh, she, one of the statements that she made at the time was that she felt like she was a guest star on a chic album where in the mix, she has, she turns herself up and she becomes the star mm -hmm. of the record. So do you, uh, do you have any issue with the commercial version of it? Not at all. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Bob Clearmountain, who was our engineer Great at engineer, the time, classic. He, he said to us at the time, Bernardo and I, we were sort of like crying. We really felt horrible because we thought this was our masterpiece. And he, and he looked at us and he says, let me tell you something. Those songs are so good. No mix can ruin those songs. Yeah. They are unbelievable. Uh -huh. And we said, really? He says, trust me, they're great. And we said, well, we got to trust you. Yeah, yeah. So how does the label confiscate masters? What, what do they, where well, are they? Well, they own them. They so own them, but they, yeah. where were they? Were they locked in a safe or did they come with a gun? <laughs> no, how no, do no. they get they them? They just say, give us our property back. What are we going to do? Say no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's what we do. We gave them their property back. Okay, all right. So now, um, all right. So let's move over. To, was it true that Rick James was going to do her album before you guys? She, I don't know about that. Yeah. There was a, because she was obviously, they were both at Motown, and um, there was a rumor that after the um, uh, the uh, Astrid and Simpson album, The Boss, mm -hmm. she was going to go to um, to the, uh, to the Rick James. Right. Which I can't imagine what that would sound like, you know. It'd probably be great, but um, uh, I, that, that's, 
serious hearsay. Yeah. I, I, this, I, I don't know anything about because Rick was one of my best friends, uh. and he told me uh, how. Uh, to do business with Barry Gordy because uh, when we finished that album, which as you well know is Diana's biggest selling yes. record, um, we hadn't gotten paid. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he told us, uh, you know, when you approach uh, Mr. Gordy, blah, 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 blah. And uh, Barry Gordy's words out of his mouth was like, Eric James. So. <laughs> <laughs> So I can't imagine him saying, F Rick James. Uh, and by the way, would you like to record Diana Ross? Yeah, yeah. So tell me this. Um, now, uh, the Johnny Mathis album just became commercial, uh, mm-hmm. commercially available. Uh, and that album sat in the vaults for 30, almost yeah. 40 years, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Well, um, when that was shelved, what what was your response to that? I mean, you put so much heart and soul into an album mm-hmm. and then Columbia says, um, we're actually not putting it out. Um, when, once again, you see a lot of this stuff was fallout from Disco Sucks. So they were afraid of anybody who was coming from the disco camp. And Bernard and I had that scarlet letter painted mm-hmm. on us. Mm-hmm. And the, people couldn't listen to the music with an open mind. It was just, these guys are disco guys, which is why when I did David Bowie and he asked me to do a hit record, I said to David, I don't want to do a hit. <laughs> That's what I've been doing, hits. Mm-hmm. G- give me a nice arty flop. Uh-huh. And I'll be, uh, no, seriously, I said, now I'll just be known as a producer instead of a disco, disco producer. producer yeah. yeah, yeah. And so um, have you heard that record uh, in its new form, the, uh, the yeah, yeah, Johnny yeah, yeah, Mathis? Yeah, 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 sure. One was, before it came, just came out, what was it called? It's called La- I, Love I Love My Lady. My lady. Yeah. Uh, what was the last time you had heard it? Um... I had heard it a few months prior to it because I have a copy of the album. Mm-hmm. It's not like right because it was on a box, it. the chic box set. A few of the cuts right. were on the chic right. box set, and, yeah. and I have the the uh, original test pressings. Um, but what happened was, um, somebody told me that everything had gotten lost, and uh, one day. Uh, a guy from the uh, Warner Vault called me. Now, Johnny Mathis wasn't in one, on Warner, but what happened was we, we did all of our recordings at a studio called The Power Station, mm-hmm. and anything that we recorded said Chic Organization on it. Mm-hmm. So when they sent all the Chic masters back to Chic or to Warner's, everything went. So mm-hmm. Mick Jagger went... Um, uh, uh, stray cats went everything just everything went to Warner's so it was just lost and mm-hmm. until until one day when they were digitizing and they finally got to the box that had Johnny Mathis in it they went uh oh I don't think this belongs to us and that's how it happened <laughs> alright now before we go to break I'm going to talk about Sheila B. Devotion at the time she was called Sheila and Black Devotion right and so uh, who uh, she's got a whole chic album that is a classic 
chic album. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites, actually. It's uh, Mine too. It's so, it's it, so good. Yeah. Actually, one of the songs, I think, is it Mayday or is it... Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's a song that's very much like I'm So Excited by the Pointer Sisters. Uh-huh. Uh, is it... Um, uh, is it oh. I have it right here. Um, anyway, so who approached you to do this record? A guy, a guy by the name of Claude Carrere. Oh, the, a, that's the label she yeah, was on. she was a very wealthy man. You know, you look at uh, Shayla... As we as we call her, oh, Shayla. not Sheila. Well, we say Sheila because she's American, but they say Sheila, and uh-huh. we go, oh, Sheila, that house over there. Uh-huh. Um, um, uh huh. So Sheila, when we did her record, uh, Claude Carrere wanted the chic sound, and we said, well, we just don't give away the chic sound. And he says, well, I will give you lots and lots of money. <laughs> For, for the chic sound. And we said, we, we don't care about lots and lots of money. He says, no, no, you don't understand. I will give you lots and lots and lots and lots of money to give away the chic sound. And we says, hmm, okay. <laughs> Was the album a hit? It's If you look up the history, it's uh, in, in French history, it's uh, considered the biggest selling uh, female album of all time. Really? Yeah, it's some strange thing because uh, I, I looked it up. It, it's, um, so, it's, they, they have a different kind of system of cataloging uh, things and she's, it's, this, it's a historical recording. Oh my God, I love it so much. I'm gonna play a little bit of Misery, which is the song. It's a very uh, Pointer Sisters. Uh, all right. I'm so excited. Oh, right. sure. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Can you hear the I'm so oh, excited? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Alpha Anderson and... Uh, yeah, and Lucy Martin. Lucy Martin. It, it Does it predate yeah. I'm so excited? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's that piano. Right. Is... Um, is very, it predates I'm So Excited by oh, the yes. Pointer Sisters. Oh, sure. Wow. Yeah, this is this is right after, like, We Are Family. The, oh, my goodness. And which is a whole other thing. What was the label? Um, it was an Atlantic label. Was it Mirage or what was Cotillion. it? Cotillion. Cotillion. Yes. Now, it was the chic organization signed to? No, we were signed to Atlantic. Uh, to Atlantic. But right. Cotillion. Sister Sledge was signed to Cotillion. Yeah, I remember that where I was the first time I heard because I I'd known of Sister Sledge before from their earlier songs. They were never really a big big right. Hit but love group. don't go through no change. Yes, exactly. I I'd seen them on Soul Train doing that. But that song, uh, uh, first of all, uh, he's the greatest dancer, and uh, then we are family yeah. turned everything around for them. Yeah. Amazing. And then you went on to do um, When Boys Meet the Girls as just on your right. own, you know. Right. Well, uh, tell me about working. Do you, What do you remember about working on that first uh, Sister Sledge album? So it was interesting because we were journeymen and we had never um, n- necessarily produced somebody where we had to come up with a concept that we felt was uh, a viable cutting edge concept. And at that time, we were going through something that you probably well know. We used to call it the Buppy Movement, the Black Urban Professional Movement, where a lot of Black people are now starting to work on Wall Street. And we wanted to represent that culture. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to be the funk 
uh-huh. know, culture. We wanted to be funky, but we wanted to represent a more sophisticated culture. So we thought, how cool would it be to have these four sisters that were cutting edge, Halston, Gucci, uh-huh. Fear. I mean, they had no idea what that meant, by the way. Uh-huh. They thought they were speaking like Greek or something. <laughs> <laughs> Halston, Gucci, Fiorucci. What does that mean? Um and uh, we thought that it would be incredible to have these four fly sisters that were on the cutting edge of fashion and just this new buppy culture. And uh, and they, we just created everything. We sang everything. We played everything. They walked into the studio and their album was finished and we just overdubbed their vocals on song. Oh my goodness. We got they, were, they were angry about that. Were they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were angry about the fact that you overdubbed their vocals on top of uh, what Lu- was already Luther there. Vandross yeah. and everybody. And I was like, what are you going to do? Like, cut Luther Vandross off of your record? So yeah. because the Sheik sound, there's a lot of chanting going on. And right. It's, a, it's lots of big voices. So Luther, how many albums of the Sheik organization did Luther sing on? Luther did at least seven albums. Wow. Yeah. So the Sister Sledge, uh, the first one, uh, We Are Family. Norma Jean. Uh-huh. Second Chic album. Uh, Sheila. Um, uh, came back for Diana Ross. Um, wow. Um, uh, we did something a little later on. What did we do? Well, of course, he did my big uh, charity record. But he yeah. came back and did something else with us. Um, can't remember. Yeah, I did, I yeah. did so many records. So many record. records, and we're going to talk about those records. We got Nile Rogers. We'll be right back after this. Casper mattresses. Oh my goodness! Thank heavens for Casper mattresses. Yes, it's you, a great product, Michelle. It is. You say thank heaven for little girls. I say thank heaven for Casper. Uh huh. Casper mattress is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Rue and I have been singing their praises for years. Casper. We are so honored that they are part of us and part of our brand, and we're part of theirs. Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amount, the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Hey, that sounds like hip hop. Hear that, Big Frida. They also have breathable <laughs> designs to help you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night because that is so frustrating. Yeah. When you're like, wake up sweating or you're free- not with Casper. It is fantastic. And y'all, I'm going to say it even though I know Casper, listen, I love you guys and the people mattresses, but my dog, uh-huh. Bella, who is a senior dog, loves her mattress. I often do it on my Instagram stories because it's not bullshit. Yeah. I actually, to the point where now she's getting to the point where it's like, uh-uh, you uh-huh. know what I mean, really old. Uh-huh. We have to move her into the laundry room when people come over because she's just a barker. She doesn't shut up. Yeah. She wanted to get out of bed, so now we have to drag the mattress. Drag the whole bed. Drag the whole Casper mattress bed uh-huh. into the uh, laundry room for her to get out of the way, but she loves it, will not get off of it. Casper's new hybrid mattress combines the pressure relief of their award-winning foam with durable yet gentle springs. It's a new innovation for them, and it combines the best of both worlds. You know we both have Casper. I have very many. I have a few. You Casper I know mattresses. you do. <laughs> you all can get $100 towards select mattress purchases by visiting casper.com slash rue. Use the offer code RU at checkout. That's casper.com slash rue. Terms and conditions apply. I can't tell you how therapy has changed my life in such a great way. I just wish everybody out there could experience what I've experienced in just navigating my life. Well, apparently though, 
Uh, everyone can. I was just about to say, well, baby, now they can because Talkspace is here. Why this hasn't happened years before uh-huh. is beyond me. So Talkspace, y'all are brilliant. It's an online therapy company. They let you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. All you need is your cell phone or a computer with an internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app. That means you can improve your mental health even if you're having trouble making time for it in the past. Because a lot of people, the number one, you hear me say it, the number one complaint is I can't. Even That's if right. I could afford it, I can't have time. I don't can't have time. find the time. Can't find the when time. When am I going to do this? Yeah. Well, with Talkspace, you can do it when you're cooking dinner. You can do it when you're sitting in traffic. You can do it anywhere. And it doesn't always have to be the deep stuff. Like for me, sometimes when I leave somewhere and I'm stressed out, it's not because I didn't get love as a kid. Yeah. It's because I'm stressed out. You need to help me manage this. Yeah fantastic place to do it, the Talkspace platform. It costs about the same amount as a single face-to-face session. Best of all, you'll never have to wait a week to share what's on your mind. The Talkspace platform is over 3,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing life's challenges that we all face. So for you to match with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com slash Rue. Make sure you use the offer code Rue to get $65 off your first month. That's R-U and Talkspace.com slash Rue. You know, uh, uh, Chic was such a huge success that there were sort of copycat bands. And I have a theory that the group Change, had, their name was called Change so that they could be close to you guys in the record bins. Right. Have you ever thought of that? It, did, did that occur to you? I, yeah. I was yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because they used a lot of the, um, the same people. Same people, yeah. you know. Did you? Um, how did that make you feel uh, when the change came along? Because I guess their first, because they used Luther on uh, yeah. their first big album. I'll, I'll tell. I'll, I can tell you exactly the whole way it happened. Um, the owner of the label was a guy named Fred Petrus. He came directly to Bernard and myself, and once again said. I would give you a lot of money. <laughs> Fred was Euro- European. They, they love saying that I would give you a lot of money <laughs> to, to give me the chic sound. Yeah. And, uh, and we were like, oh, well, we don't give away the chic sound. Uh-huh. And he says, no, I will give you a lot of money to do this. Uh. He says, you can create another chic. You, so you could have two chics. You would own that one and you'd own the other one too. And we were like, that's just not who we are. Chic wound up becoming our identity. Yeah. So uh, Fred looked on the back of the album and um, and just started uh, cherry picking people from our record. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about Fred, um, with without knowing the the, the super super details, um, uh, he was very. Uh, uh, very, I guess it felt very gangster-like. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but Fred, he was wound up, he wound up being murdered. He, they, he, they shot wow. him right in his eye. They, you were kidding they me. They knocked on his door, shot him right in the face. Well, um, where, where was he from? Um, I believe Fred was from Italy or France. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so change was French- sounding but he may have been italian yeah because it was it was uh fred and then there's a malavas mava another name i can't pronounce there were two names on all the chic other uh, change records right um but uh uh they and the change records were fabulous they're great they're, they're really great oh come on glow Chill of it. love and searching and uh you know so many and, the, and then they had then they took that and farmed it out to the bb and q band there you go and there was another one called living um with uh, melissa melissa morgan it was called uh another kind of it was an, right. a, 
take off on all of that. You so, know? so, you know, it's interesting that you say that because one of our friends who was working at B- BLS at the time said that, you know, chic is really over. And, and I asked her why. And she says, because there's so many imitation chics now that everyone can have one of their own. Yeah, but still. <laughs> no, but in a way, in a way, she had a very valid point because um, you know, as the decade was changing, going from the 70s to the 80s, you could have that thing that wasn't scarred with the disco right. um, you know, scarlet letter, and they could say we were something different. Yeah. They could say we were dance music, we they could say we were new wave, they could say we were whatever. But they didn't have to say they were disco. Well, in your book, uh, La Freak, which is available on Amazon, and it's really a good read. It's a great chronicle of that era and and up and even up until today, and also your own struggles in in life and navigating life. But it, you famously say uh, 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 disco didn't die. Never, not not for one moment. What's the rest of that? It didn't die. It. Uh, it just changed its name and address. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're using my quote. Yeah, it says uh, something to the effect of, uh, yeah, uh, uh, disco didn't die. Um, yeah, it just moved down the block or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but that, which um, is true, because, I mean, if you look at the music after the, yeah, what unquote, Funky just, Town and all yes, those other records. the they, Madonna they were, stuff. Yeah, it, was, it was all dance. It was all, absolutely. And, and it's funny, when I always talk to my... Uh, uh, like all my friends are, you know, hip hop guys and, and, and they always laugh and they say, it's funny that people are so down on disco because what do they think hip hop came from? Yeah. What right. do they think we were listening to? There wasn't any other music other than disco and, yeah. R- and yeah. you know, an old school R and B, but it was, that was the music that they were inspired by. That was, they Sugar turned Hill on. Sugar wouldn't have happened exactly. without Exactly. Yeah, they turned Hill on the radio is, and that's what they were listening to. Yeah. Now I want to ask you, um, uh, I want to ask you about uh, some early, earlier parts of your life that are, that are in the book. But before that, um, you know, something we talk about in this podcast a lot, which is that there are, aren't places to go dance anymore. And, you know, yeah. it says something about our culture that there are, used to be a disco on every corner, a dance yeah. place. What do you think that means? You know, I, I, I honestly think that the whole uh, disco sucks movement was so, um, so effective in its, um, in its insidiousness that it worked very well. It uh, brought out the racism. It allowed people to go back to where they were comfortable. Um, And what was really interesting about disco was it was so popular, you almost felt not cool being in it. Mm -hmm. Like I remember going to clubs that that prior to them being called disco, so they would just put discotheque over their name. Right? Yeah, yeah. And next thing you know, they'd have a really cool crowd all <laughs> of a sudden, right? Whereas before that, you know, and and I really I hate to do accents because people think that I'm tr- being racist, and mm. I'm, I'm really not. I'm just you know, when you're a little kid and you hear people talk, and I grew up in Greenwich Village, right? Mm. So I'm right on the on the cusp of Little Italy. Mm-hmm. So you know, all my buddies from Little Italy was like. Hey, you know, 
we're going to go to this damn disco joint and uh, see if we can pick up some bras. You know what I mean? It was like, what is and then they, And they were into it. Yeah. And, and, and it was like, all of a sudden, these guys who we used to call hitters would come into the club and it would have this sort of, um, th- this magical feeling of comfort where there was a metamorphosis. So sometimes these guys that were really not necessarily your friends would leave with a whole different set of, uh, with a whole different consciousness. And it was really interesting. And I know you know this, Rube, because New York for a good 10 years, from 1980 to 1990, it became this blurry mass of just cool people going to all the clubs. We could go to the Italian clubs. We could go to the, it was just every place. Oh, not yeah. The music was well. Music was always fabulous. It was just that these guys listen to this. These guys listen mm-hmm. to that. Those guys. We all went to the same spots, yeah. and that was the thing that was interesting. You would see guys with you know Hell's Angels kind of leather jackets, especially the After Hours Club. Oh yeah, I mean, we go to the the the, the toilet and um, save the robots, and save the robots, oh, and those mm-hmm. joints. Man, you'd see the most diverse crowd you'd ever seen. And for the first time, we were really cool with each other. Yeah. I mean, it was really cool. It was never threatening. And I um, think you're onto something. And I think that's exactly why there are no dance clubs today. I think what happened is people became, first of all, people are very comfortable with their fear. You know, when people, when you take a child away from an abusive home, that child cries and cries and cries because they want to go back, go back to that home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, dance music and it, it, it elicits the spirit. It brings the spirit. We are programmed to when we dance around a fire or disco lights, something co- happens. Yeah, it's magic, yeah. right? It's- so, and when you in, in, when you move below the belt, something else happens, <laughs> exactly. and it is expanding. I think when people get a taste of spreading their wings to that extent. It fucking scares the shit out of them. And the people who can't do it say, no, burn the witch. We've got to stop this thing. And that's what happened. And the fact that there are no dance clubs today where we can't, it's two o'clock in the afternoon, where we can't go down the hill right now and go to a club and just dance. dance. That is outrageous. And it says that our culture is is disconnected from its spirit. You know, Peter Gabriel once said to me, he said that if aliens came to this planet and they saw people dancing, they would think that we were the most beautiful, wonderful people Uh, in the world. He said, because it's dance that sort of brings us all together. And when he said that, I'm listening to Peter Gabriel, I'm going, going, well, your music isn't dance music necessarily, but P- Peter was thinking of it in a more primal thing, just the setting of people dancing and moving the way they move. It doesn't have to be the most popular dance, sure. just right. the fact that you are expressing your emotions through movement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what we used to do. Every, I mean, every night we could go club hopping. When I tell people the story of how I wrote, um, I'm freak. coming out. No, the oh. freak. That, uh-huh. That's a funny one yeah. too. But 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 um, when I wrote, I'm coming out. Uh, people don't realize that when when you had clubs that were just about dancing and partying, 
you didn't feel uncomfortable going to a transvestite club. You didn't feel uncomfortable going to an Italian club. Mm -hmm. You didn't feel like not at all. So I'm standing in the bathroom and now these were the druggy partying days. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. So I'm in the bathroom and for the, you know, the one or two times a night that I use the bathroom for what? (laughs) they're designed for i'm standing there and i'm looking on either side and i see at least three and i always sort of pull the number back because people won't believe it i think it was at least five or ten but there were ten transvestites dressed up all like diana ross Uh Mm -hmm. so i didn't know that there was maybe some kind of diana ross look-alike contest uh-huh. going on. Maybe there was a special event because we just went from club to club. Yeah. We didn't care. Yeah. So I'm like, this is early in my career. Now, Diana Ross is the first superstar I ever produced. And the way that we made records in those days, we were like the writers and directors of films. Yeah. We would conceive the record. We would do the whole thing. We would make up Sister Sledge's identity, mm-hmm. we would now take Diana Ross's identity and move it to the next level. So I thought to myself, oh my God, the gay community relates to Diana Ross in this very unique way. And, and because I'm looking at these guys right there and I'm saying, oh my God, a light bulb went off over my head. And in those days I drank a lot and I knew I'd forget. So I called my partner, Bernard Edwards, and I said, man, please remember this. And he was, what the fuck you want? I said, Bernard, please wake up, man. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. I got a great idea. Whoa, 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 man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm in this club, and I swear to God, man, we got to do a song called I'm Coming Out. Imagine what the gay community is going to feel like when Diana Ross walks out on that stage and goes, I'm coming out. (laughs) (laughs) I said it's going to be like James Brown going, say it loud. Yes. I'm black and I'm proud. (laughs) And Bernard was like still going, what, 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 what? I said, all right, don't don't think about it. Do me a favor. Take out a pencil and just write this down so you can remind me tomorrow because I'm going to forget. And then the next day, I explained the story to him in detail and he said wow Uh that's genius and I was like going so many of my ideas uh, all come from uh, from real life I only write non-fiction songs even though they may sound like they're you know fictional but they're they're non-fiction with fictional elements i i love it and you're using your body and your intellect as a channel for the universe which is brilliant now the book is called uh, la freak and in the book you talk about you know i know you're from greenwich village but you lived in van nuys you used to clean frank sinatra's plane yeah what is that? How do wait? No, I didn't why were live you, in Van Nuys. You didn't dude. live in Van Nuys. I didn't have that kind of money. No, I worked in Van Nuys. Uh-huh. I lived in South Central LA. And so, how did you get a job cleaning Frank Sinatra's airport? Because Van Nuys uh, Airport, it's called Van Nuys Airport now. It used to be Van Nuys Skyways, and that was also the same place where uh, Marilyn Monroe was discovered because they were that that they were uh, manufacturing aircraft there as well. Um, So I used to go to that particular airport. My grandmother's boyfriend was a janitor. And so I could could make extra money. He would take me along with him to work. 
I was the only black kid at the airport, a general aviation airport. And so people took a liking to me. They, they liked the fact that I was very inquisitive. I was a science student, so I could talk to them about, you know, the aeronautics and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, wow, who's this kid? You know, they, they dug me. And then um, Frank Sinatra had a guy by the name of Frank Military working for him. That was his man. And uh, so I became friends with Frank Military, and we used to talk all the time. Hey, man, come on. You want to come up? You want to go up in the plane? Then Christina Sinatra. So, man, you won't believe this. The world is so small. <laughs> so the jet, the Learjet was called the Christina II because obviously his first daughter, his daughter was Christina I, and uh-huh. now this was Christina II. So now I'm cleaning up the Christina II, and um, she marries this guy by the name of Wes Farrell. Well, Wes Farrell starts a record label called Chelsea Records. Mm. Chelsea Records signed this group, this Philly-sounding group called New York City. Oh, I remember them. You're doing fine now. Yeah. Bingo! Uh uh Nile Rodgers. That's my first... Wait, wait, what did you do with I'm Doing Fine Now? Um, did you write I'm, it? No, no, I was in the band. You were oh. in New York City? Uh, yes. I'm Doing Fine Now. I'm That's, Doing Fine no, oh, Now. Rue, down, Rue, without let me educate you, baby. you. Yes, yes, I'm going to educate you. Here's the deal. Why are we called chic? Because this, I, I used to go to school, so I was going to go to Juilliard or I was going to go to Manhattan. And what happened was Juilliard... Um, guitar was not part of the symphony orchestra, so they didn't teach classical guitar. But this particular year, they were going to add it to the extension division. Manhattan actually taught guitar as part of the normal curriculum. So I went up to Manhattan School of Music, looked up on the bulletin board, and there was, you know, remember the index cards? Yeah. Uh Yeah. And it was an audition for a band. Um, uh, that band was Sesame Street and the other gig I got was with Bernard Edwards, who was the music director for New York City. Wow. And Bernard Edwards was the band leader and he and I were inseparable. History was made. We were inseparable. We wouldn't do anything without each other. And... And Christina Sinatra named the band New York City. And if you look at the cover, we have the logo from New York Magazine. Now, I don't know uh, if you could get away with that nowadays, but I don't think you can... I don't think you can trademark a font, right? But it looked like New York Magazine, uh-huh. and the cover was New York, and that was us. I had that forty-five. Yeah, I certainly it's did. It's a dope record. It's a great a really record. Great record. It's a fantastic record. All right, we got now, Roger. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> Rue. Yeah. We've talked about natural deodorant. Oh, we have it. Nauseum. Ad nauseum. Yes. And I love natural deodorant. Well, that makes me happy. And right now, we're going to talk to you about native deodorant. Now, listen, y'all, with all these emails and all these tweets and all these things, it works. I am telling you, Native can hang with your workout. Native can hang with your busy mom life, your busy dorm life, 16-hour days. I am telling you, do not turn your back on Native deodorant. And and all the aluminum is out the window. You mean aluminum? Well, if you're in London, yeah. Yes. Aluminum, it's worth it. Aluminum may be linked to some serious health ramifications. You've heard me go on and on about this. Although Native is priced at a slight premium when compared to conventional deodorants, which are crap, it's safe and effective and healthy and healthy for you. And it's worth it in the long run because you can bypass some pretty 
you know. Scary stuff. Exactly. Absolutely. They offer an unscented formula too and baking soda free formula because some people get really sensitive to the baking soda. Really? So they have baking soda free like sensitive formulas. Uh-huh. Classic deodorant scents include coconut and vanilla, which oh, is my favorite. I love that. Lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, and eucalyptus and mint. Sounds like we're making a salad. Yeah, I love that. No risk to try. Native deodorant offers free returns and exchanges here in the USA. If you subscribe, you save 17%. That's $2 per stick and have Native conveniently delivered to your door every one, two, three, or four months. Y'all know you stink and y'all know you need deodorant. <laughs> so that's the way to do it. For me, the lavender, uh, coconut, the coconut and vanilla is the way to go. Yeah. Some people love the lavender and the rose. Um, you know, it's all a personal thing, but I'm telling you it works. So for 20% off your first purchase of Native Deodorant, visit nativedeodorant.com. Use the promo code RUE during checkout. You've heard us talk about it. Now follow it through. That's nativedeodorant.com, promo code RU. We got Nile Rogers. We're talking about everything. I could talk for hours with this man. You talk about like a Zelig type character, you know, from uh, cleaning Frank Sinatra's planes to, you know, living in Greenwich Village. I know that your mother, Beverly, is that yes. her name? Uh, uh, she's got her own story. I yeah. mean, that's a that's an epic movie right yeah. there, you know. But um, uh, you were going to say, um, and then there's the whole um, producing on your own part thing, which is, a whole nother chapter. Now, this book, has anybody optioned this book, Le Freak, to be a miniseries or a movie? Because uh, Right now, um, just last week, uh, we were with, um, what do we, do we want to say too much? You, well, yeah, yeah, you know. Okay. So just last week, uh, uh, we're with Andrew Lloyd Webber, and um, we're uh, becoming very, very friendly. Um and, Musical. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, of course, the very first person, the day this book came out, the first phone call I got was from Queen Latifah. Mm. And she said to me, she says, Niall, I want that book. Yeah. Um, and then about 10 other producers called me and I just said, look, I want to do it as a stage play first. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will uh, appear in another form. And I believe that that'll be the real definitive version because we will be able to take the time to delve into a lot of things that I couldn't delve into because I was a first-time author. Yeah. Um, As a matter of fact, this is what my publisher told me. She says, you know, now the first manuscript I turned in was 777 pages long. She says, Niall. um, Are you kidding? She says, Niall, uh, you're a first-time author. You're not very famous and you're not in any scandals. She what? says, I don't think a person's going to read a 700-page book. Oh, my so goodness. I edited it down to 300 and something. What does she know? Well, you know, I, I got her point. But but anyway, you, know, you got to hear this one. This is really cool. Let's get back to Frank Sinatra. Yeah. So, so now there are two pieces of equipment in America. These two, the first two Sony digital tape recorders uh, right down the block. Um, he doesn't live there anymore. Unfortunately, he passed away. Um, 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 Frank Zappa owned mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. and Nile Rogers owned the other one. Mm-hmm. But Nile Rogers is on the East Coast, and Frank Zappa's here, mm-hmm. Hollywood Hills. Um, so Quincy Jones was producing a record, and he wanted to use this new technology. What I year is this? I didn't know Quincy. Um, this is so the first 
digital album I did was Like a Virgin. So that was 1983. Mm -hmm. The first digital recording I did was Peter Gabriel Walk Through the Fire from the movie Against All Odds, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 1982 or something like that, mm -hmm. 82, 81. So, um, so, uh, Quincy calls. So Quincy calls. I've never met him. Um, and he says, uh, yeah, you know, we'd like to rent your equipment. So um, they fly to New York and it's, you know, the big Frank Sinatra kind of recording session. And I see Frank Military. Remember I told uh -huh. you yeah. I was Fra Frank Sinatra's man. I said, wow, Mr. Military, how are you? And he looks at me and he says, uh, excuse me, do I know you? I says, yeah. I'm Pud, which is my nickname, my, you know, because I'm the only one in my family that's sort of chocolate color. Uh -huh. So they used to call me Pud for pudding pie. <laughs> so, oh, my God. So um, I said, Frank, this is Pud. Pud, what are you doing here? I says, yeah, you know, I work at the studio. He says, you work at the studio. So he thinks I clean the studio, uh -huh. right? right? This, this is great. He thinks I clean up the studio. I, I moved to the East Coast to yes. clean up studios. Uh, yes. So I said, no, 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 no. I said, man, I'd love to go in and uh, talk to Mr. Sinatra, but I'd love to meet, you know, Miss, Mr. Jones. Can you introduce me to Quincy Jones? Uh -huh. He said, sure. I said, I mean, after all, they're borrowing my stuff. Yeah. They're renting my stuff. So I go in and he introduces me to Quincy. And I said, hi, Mr. Jones, blah, blah, blah. Very nice to meet you. And I says, and Mr. Sinatra, Mr. Sinatra, it's so fantastic to see you again. Thank you so much for all the advice you gave me when I was a kid. And he looked at me and went, who, what are you, what are you, who are you? Uh -huh. I says, I'm Pud. He says, Pud. I said, Pud from Van Nuys Skyways. Pud, what are you doing here? Uh -huh. He thinks I'm cleaning up. Uh -huh. I says, uh, I'm the number one producer in the world. And, uh -huh. he, and he looks at Quincy and he goes, Q. I thought you were the number one. Oh my God. <laughs> he, he says, Q, I thought you were the number one producer in the year uh, of the year. I says, no, no, that was thriller was last year. Uh -huh. I have like a virgin. This yes. Year. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. How and then what movie, what album were they making? That wasn't LA is my lady. Was they, it? I think it was duets or something oh, yeah, like that. Right. I, I'm not yeah, because sure. Quincy had worked with him for years and yeah. years. Now, you mentioned the Madonna album. Thank now, you. Is it true that... Um, I was like, you are not just going to gloss over Madonna. We gave Diana time. <laughs> yes. We're going to give Madonna time. Yes. Now, uh, now uh, for Like a Virgin, the song Like a Virgin, you produced the whole album, but uh, the song Like a Virgin, Madonna could not hit the high notes. So you <laughs> slow the track down. That's for a her. Luther Vandross trick. Is yes, it? Yes. How, now tell me about that. Because the so, song uh, is Tom Kelly, Billy Steinberg wrote right. the song. Yep. Huge songwriters. Yep. And uh, uh, she couldn't hit the notes. It, well, the thing is, is that Madonna is not a natural mezzo soprano. And if you think of that, uh, that is in the key of F sharp, and she goes up an octave. Um, Madonna was incredibly smart in that she knew that if she had a younger appealing voice, because Madonna's natural voice is like live to tell. Yes. That's, yeah. and she sounds beautiful, beautiful. there. Yeah. I, I love live to tell. Yeah. But um, she, she was brilliant, man. She was so smart on that album where she would sing the first part down in an octave and then jump up an octave and things like that. So, 
we were working on it and I was like, well, I can't beat up on her so much. This is crazy. Let me just do the Luther Vandross trick, slow the tape down, boop, and she hit it. Yeah. We were cool. And it's and it's fantastic. Yeah. It is fantastic. Do you um when's the last time you heard that album? Like a virgin? Yeah. I don't listen to my work that much. Do you? Are you in like the airport or in a car, a taxi? Oh, oh, yeah. and you go, well, oh, wait a yeah, minute. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's one of my songs. Yeah, that happened yesterday. What song was it? Get Lucky. Get Lucky. Oh, by... Um, Daft uh, Punk. Oh, but the, the Daft Punk song. Yes, of course. So many things. The David Bowie album, you know, the Grace Jones. Yeah, uh, one of my favorites. Oh, my God. What's it like recording Grace Jones? Oh, man. I... I she was so there there are not many people on this earth that i think are as wonderfully unique as grace jones grace jones and david bowie would for me felt like the pinnacle of walking living art mm-hmm. i mean if you get over just the fun side of Grace Jones, because damn, she's fun. I mean, uh-huh. We get high and crazy, mm-hmm. yeah. like that part. But just her perspective on the world, just the way that she saw stuff. Like we would talk about uh, music in certain ways where it was just abstract because she wanted it to be. And yeah. I would say, but but why? What's what's the point? Why why are we doing something that is going to make a person feel uncomfortable for no reason? Right. We can do this and like smoke. Yeah. And she says, because everybody does it the other way. <laughs> and, like, and that's the answer. Right. Is that the inside job album? Is that what it inside was? Story, inside story. Yeah. Inside story. Yeah. And uh, did you do the one cut, which is um, uh, I'm Not Perfect? I did everything. You did the whole album. Yeah, I did everything. Okay. So now um, we hit on this a minute ago with the Sugar Hill Gang, uh, you know, really creating rap music with Good Times and, yeah. and sampling that song, Good Times. I know there's a whole story about getting uh, your money, your publishing from that song. <laughs> but um, there are so many songs that use the hooks from Chic songs yeah i don't i've lost count yeah i know i've lost count yeah it's hun- uh, hundreds but hundreds. really when when rappers delight first started that was almost unprecedented yeah it was because sampling wasn't a no rule. it was, it it was unprecedented that so, was the beginning yeah. that was the beginning that was the beginning. and so who did you of course you called your lawyer first right yeah of course yeah and uh how so long they didn't did- ask no, of course did. not. Why? Yeah. Why would this is Morris Levy? This is a pretty Morris tough Levy, guy. the famous. He didn't ask. Right. Yeah, <laughs> the famous Morris Levy, who is, uh, I guess that that book Hitman uh, from the. Uh, do you remember that book, uh-huh. The Hitman? Of course, everybody. It all, yeah, Hitman. yeah. It was amazing. The music business is so different today. Are you still interested in making records? You got to be kidding me! I, what, what, how many records have I made this last? Probably hundred in the last year. <laughs> in the last year. Yeah. My God, I know that the uh, I know that the uh, the latest Chic album. Um, I just label it here. Um, oh, it's called "It's About Time." I just call it Chic 2018. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, uh, so you have another one planned? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, so what I, what I'm doing is that now that the landscape is changing, I had to realize that just like you said, we can't right now. We can't just pick up and walk down the hill and go to a club and start dancing. Mm-hmm. It just it's just not there. Um, and I had to wake up and believe um, that there is some kind of world that the spirit of that we had 
can exist. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to pull it off, um, but I really believe in that culture because nothing ever felt as good to me. You're right. I remember when I first met you, when uh, Debbie Harry and Chris Stein t- said to me, Oh, you don't know RuPaul? <laughs> uh, what do you mean you don't know Ru? What do you mean you don't know RuPaul? Like you, everybody knows RuPaul. I'm like, what are you talking about? And it was just we had this culture where we would just, just like the Jean Michel Basquiat. It was mm-hmm. just <clears throat> the world was just so cool. Yeah, and we just it was it, it almost seems magical. It's like something disappeared. Yeah, like, what happened? That. That's a good question. I don't know what happened. Uh, I think uh, I have some uh, ideas about it, but I, uh, I'm, I'm more interested in how, how I guess we could get it back or how I can be of service to help that. You know, it, it, somehow the individual became the story rather than us. You mentioned right, it earlier right. about going to New York. I would, I could go in the eighties. I could go to six different clubs a night, easy, six different ones easy. a night, have a great time. And it was people from uptown, downtown, black, white, gay, straight, everybody. The tapestry was beautiful and it felt like so uniquely New York. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, everything's cyclical. It could happen again. It could. It absolutely could. It, it will happen again. That's what it was about. That's all we did all day, all night. I remember not leaving clubs. Some of those after hours till six or seven in the morning going straight to work. Yeah. I the met Bowie day. at six in the morning. Yeah. Where was it? Uh, at a place called the Continental. Billy uh-huh. Idol and I drove up. Where was the Continental Ballroom? Where the was Continental it? was on 25th Street and like, you know, like the West Side Highway, like in between. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, it, no, no, 20, it was either 25th or 26th. I said 25th because that's where SIR is. So it was probably uh-huh. 26th. Uh-huh. And uh, I drove up with uh, Billy Idol and uh, and I had a Maserati Bora. And like in those days, no one had cars in New York, uh-huh. let alone Maserati. Uh-huh. So, so I drove up with him. And we would just pack all these people into my sports cars. And we walked in and Billy Idol went, me and Billy and his girlfriend at the time, who was named um, uh, Perry, Perry. Perry Lister. Yeah. Yeah. And we walked in and Billy went, bloody hell, let's David fucking Bowie. And as he <laughs> says Bowie, he barfed. He went, <laughs> Oh my God! Blood, blood, yeah. Like I said, I hate doing accents. Please don't diss me, Billy. I love you. No, I love you. I saw you at Coachella last year. We laughed about this, but it was just funny to me because it was just like he went hardcore Englishman. <laughs> and it, I was David fucking. Uh, oh my God! Oh my God. I just leave and went. Hello, mate. Oh my goodness! <laughs> now you mentioned Debbie Harry and Chris Stein. Now the album that uh, Sheik did with those two was very different from what you guys had done before, right? Because did did you guys play on those records? I know we you played, played guitar, but something. What was different about it? So, you know, artists, as we often do, shoot ourselves in the foot. You um, are you're sort of at the pinnacle of your success and somehow you suffer from survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Everything is going great. I mean, if you think about it, I never put out a record back in those days that wasn't a, a gold or a platinum or a multiple platinum single. 
records that people don't even think of today. Like people don't realize Norma Jean. Yeah. Platinum. People don't people they remember We Are Family, but they don't realize that he's the greatest dancer was a platinum single out yeah. the door. Yeah. Like right out the door. Platinum, mm-hmm. double platinum. I mean, like, you know, two million records right out the door. So you know, you start thinking that that's all that I'm known for. The disco sucks thing happened. So now Blondie, they're doing their thing. Debbie decides she's going to go her natural hair color because now she's suffering from survivor's guilt. Uh-huh. And we just hooked up at the right time. We're both miserable. Uh-huh. Success made us miserable. And look, same thing happened to Bowie. Uh-huh. Let's Dance became huge. And all of a sudden, the thing that he wanted, success made him miserable for yeah. a minute. I was like, David, yeah. that's what you asked me to do. Now uh-huh. you're all pissed off. Yeah. Um, and and that's what happened. We just converged at a point in time where on paper, if we had been those people who did good times and she had been that woman who did call me yeah. and we went and did that record, what right. would that have been? Exactly. Woo! Exactly. You know, on Drag Race, I tell the girls, you know, do what you do. Um, figure out what it is that you do and bring that to the party. Right. And it's, it's it, people have to go through it to understand it. But uh, I love that record. You know, who does the rapping? I'm going to break in a minute. Who does the rapping on Backfired? Is that Bernard? I think it's me. Is it you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think it would be me. Oh, wow. Because what happened is that... Um, Debbie, Harry, and Chris Stein turned us on to hip hop. Mm-hmm. They took us to Queens. Well, they didn't take us; they took Nile <laughs> to uh-huh. Queens. And I went to a playground with them, and the DJ had two turntables set up, and the only song they played for four hours was "Good Time." <laughs> and they had this—they had this long line of of MCs just waiting in line yeah. to get their chance to spit over "Good Time." They just wow. next person was Rapture up. before rap. Yeah, no, was, no, no, Rapture came out after. After, okay. Right, after. it was 81, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Right, Sugar Hill was 79? Yeah. yeah. No, was no, it? they, yeah, they probably came at the end of 79. They jumped on Good Times right away. Uh-huh. So Good Times, so we had two number one pop records in the same year, 79. And um, that was Upside Down. No, that was Le Freak uh-huh. and, and uh, Good Times. Yeah. Mm. And uh, and in the summer of 79 is when the whole Disco Sucks thing happened. The mm. whole thing at the Shea Stadium or whatever. Yeah. It was no, Chicago. come on, Chicago. Oh, Rig- I thought Rigley they did Field. it in New York. Yeah. Wrigley yeah. Field oh, Rigley or something Field. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, you know, the, the, the Good Times thing was so big that we, when we put Good Times out, we didn't expect it to go number one so fast. So we didn't even know good times when we went on the road because we didn't even think people would care about it mm-hmm. because now we had a real set. When Chic first started, we only had a s- seven-song set. Yeah. So after we did Sister Sledge, we had a real set. We yeah. had Norma Jean, Sister Sledge, and Chic. So we uh-huh. had a set. So we didn't put good times in it. We played down in San Diego at the stadium with the Padres where we were opening for Marvin Gaye. And Rick James tells this story. So funny. Uh, rest in peace. Rick James was my man. Rick James says, so they're in the dressing room and uh, we don't know good times. We don't, we don't know it because we uh-huh. just put it out. And it yeah. was like just 
flew off the top of the charts. Everybody's screaming, shake, 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 good time, good time, shake, 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 good time. And so Marvin Gaye jumped under the desk because he thought it was an earthquake. Oh my God. And Rick James looked at him and said, what's wrong with you, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Marvin said, man, get under the desk. It's an earthquake. And he laughed. He said, man, that ain't no earthquake. That's just sheep. <laughs> he said, who the hell is she? He said, that's your opening act. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. my and goodness. Then, and then so I thought that Marvin Gaye wound up hating us. And then I found out years later that the very last interview Marvin Gaye did in Europe um, he was talking about disco and they said, well, how do you feel about disco? And he said, well, the repetitive thing is not quite where I'm coming from. He said, but there is this one group that I really like, Chic. Wow. <laughs> that's that's awesome. what? Amazing. What? Are you kidding me? And the DJ who recorded it played it for me. Wow. And I was sitting there in shock. I was like going, because the audience wouldn't let Marvin Gaye go on. He tried to go on and they were like, sheik, sheik, sheik. Wow, oh my God. So, so the cops came to our dressing room, right? And down in San Diego were like sheriffs. And they came to our dressing room. And yes, we were doing coke. Uh -huh. And we thought we were going to get busted. As one does. They knocked on the door. But I remember we were like, ah, what do we do? The toilet, our noses are all white, look like, <laughs> look like clowns. <laughs> and uh, we're like terrified. What do we do? And then he says, no, 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 no. Um, uh, we need you to come out here and quell this thing because there's going to be a riot. And we go outside. And now Luther and everybody had gone back to Los Angeles. And we're like going, like, well, well, Luther is gone. We can't yeah. sing it. We can't even fake it. Um, so we just got in the in the uh, cart where they do the pitching change, yeah. and they mm -hmm. got that little Padres hat on, and we just rode around the diamond, waving like the Queen of yeah. England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we did that a couple of times, and just play the record. You know, that, that, that would do it. That's what we did. I love it. We got Nia Raj. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back after this. Well, let's talk about him. Him. I'm not talking about her. Him. I'm talking about him. Him. Now you know you get to a certain age, and a lot of times. Uh, it's a little bit tough to maintain uh, your excitement level. Things don't want to stand up. Yeah, yeah and we're talking about between me down there. They would you know rather what I mean? lay down. They would rather lay down. Well, yes. that's where hymns comes in. Yeah, for now, hymns. For hymns. Now, you might be saying, what are you, why are y'all talking about hymns? Well, that's the name of the product, yeah. Michelle. Forhims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skincare. And sexual wellness for men. Now, okay. Hims connects you with a real licensed doctor and FDA-approved pharmaceutical products to treat ED. For Hims.com, uh, they have well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you combat ED. You know we've made it when we're talking about ED. Yeah, well, let's let people know what ED stands for. Erectile. Dysfunction. Uh oh, ooh, so that's it's, not, it's not a dirty word. No, it's not. It's, it's actually, two dirty it's words. Something that's, no. <laughs> it's something that's very real. It's so very real. Stop worrying about multiple in office doctor visits, no painful injections like other treatments. It's so easy. Just answer questions about your medical history and chat with the doctor for confidential review. If approved by the doctor, products are shipped directly to your door. Being the best means performing your best. It's erectile without the dysfunction. That's right. And take the shame out of it, you guys. There's no need, okay? Say hello to your little friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> Try hymns for a month today for just $5. We'll get you started for just 5 bucks while supplies last. 
Prescription products are subject to doctor approval, of course, and require an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds if you went in person to the doctor's office or pharmacy. So go to forhims.com slash rue. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash rue. Forhims.com slash rue. We've got Niall Rogers here. So many stories. You got to read this book. It's called The Freak. It's been out for several years, but, um, uh, you know, it really does chronicle uh, so much of your life, which you've had an amazing life and it's still happening. You're I'm going to say, Rue, I'm not dead. You're bro. not dead. No, not at all. In fact, you're very much alive. You're on tour right now. You're at the Hollywood Bowl tonight. And this tour is going to go around the world. I, I, when I see you on Twitter, uh, you're in a new city every, <laughs> every day. single day. Yeah. It's like the the, uh, the you know the exploits of an airport uh, survivor. You know, <laughs> you're in the airport all the time. How much more do you want out of this thing? How um, much more do you want? You, you know, uh, there's one thing when it comes to being a composer, but to be able to actually play what you've composed is the most amazing feeling in the world. Mm. To be able to get that feedback from the audience um, is, it's it's just one of the most unique, special things I could have ever imagined. And I never thought... I mean, you you know, I mean, you're you're very smart, man. You know, we could have stopped this once we did Diana Ross because I I have a pretty modest lifestyle. I mean, I got cool stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's not it's not like I I didn't I didn't pull the the Mike Tyson thing or anything right. like that. I didn't right. go nuts. Sure. Um, um, you know, so I, I you know got a couple of nice places and um. And I was fine, and I could have lived off those royalties forever and just did that and played guitar and had a good time and, yeah. and lived the Greenwich Village, New York life. And it, and it's wonderful. I like New York. But um, I, uh, I love the challenge. Every time somebody gives me something that seems impossible, it makes me go, wow, I'd love to, f- to do this. Um, when they called me to do Coming to America with Eddie Murphy – um, I, I just, I, I knew that somehow inherently I would know that I could add a lot to this film mm-hmm. just because I was black, mm-hmm. just because I had played with high life bands, because I had been to Africa, mm-hmm. because I knew Grace Jones, because I knew Fella, mm-hmm. you know, because I knew that I, I knew that I could add something that a typical American composer just would know. And I, I took that job because I said, wow, I'm a black man. I can get to walk in, conduct a symphony orchestra, and then add all of these extra elements that I somehow believe I know in my heart. And then I got to write stupid stuff like, just let your soul <laughs> Legendary, not yes. stupid, legendary. Uh, so amazing. So I, have they asked you to do the, the new film? The uh, new com- coming to no, America? No, they did not. But I understand. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's um, it, from what I've seen, it looks like this new league of incredible talent that's out there. Um, and I'm not even sure if that would feel like 
something I would want to do. Yeah. Um, the the experience of doing it that time and Eddie at that point in his career, oh, yeah. it was all so important. Yeah. Whereas I don't want to do things just to do jobs. Yeah. That feels weird to me. Yeah. You know, in, in 91, you guys got together again and released a new Chic album, uh, Chicism. And yeah. it is one of my Desert Island album. I'm a big Chic fan generally, but just in general. But uh, this is a fabulous album. Yeah. I, I wish more people heard this record. I know. You know, uh, so many great songs. Let me just, um, I want to... Uh, 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 Talk about my favorite songs. I'm um, in it to win it. Uh, my love's for my real. Love's for real. Uh, my one and only. Yeah. Is, and I beautiful. thought, you know, it, it's not it's not Lucy Martin or um, uh, Alpha uh, Anderson, Alpha, no. but the voices still have that chic feeling yeah. to them. Yeah. You know. But as as we've matured, um, there are certain things um, in the world that excite me. So when I was younger. I like certain foods, and as I got older and my palate got more sophisticated, I liked other types of things. So when you come to a chic show now, um, we're a wee bit more over the top than we used to be because in those days it was all about sophistication. We were trying to be cool. Uh -huh. We were trying to be the antithesis of parliament. As yeah. much as we loved them, yeah. we didn't want to be those, I didn't want to be Sano's devoid of fun. <laughs> like, I, I and it's funny I say that because now with the Hollywood Bowl, I come out in this big brim at the end. <laughs> Love that. And say, we're going to take you back. Yeah. But, um, but uh, what's happened is that as we've gotten older, we've decided that um, more of the the virtuosity of chic um, is important. Um, when we first came out, we knew that we were inherently over players that, you know, I mean, you listen to everybody dance our first thing. Uh -huh. like, who can play that? Yeah. You know, you got to be like, you know, Jaco Pastorius, uh -huh. or you got to be like, you know, <laughs> the best bass player in the world because uh, Bernard was one of the best bass yeah. players in the world. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, we knew that that was a problem uh, because we had tried to get many record deals and on, the only people that were interested in us were rock and roll labels because of the way we played. Mm -hmm. When they saw that we were black, they were like, oh, uh, oh sorry about that. So we figured out a way to pull the virtuosity back and make it about groove and cleverness and and interesting stories and things like that. Um, but now that we've gotten older, I feel like I don't have anything to prove. So let me just live in a world where I'm with amazing yeah. musicians and we could just kill and have a great time and make people feel good and yeah yeah you know i want to talk about the stuff that yeah we, we have a little bit of time left uh the stuff that you're you have on the on the dockets um the future we talked about um uh you know the play perhaps you know the music <laughs> thing uh, uh uh but first uh Bernard, you know, Bernard left us uh, several years ago. Does his spirit show up in some of the shows? Does he sort of communicate with you? Because you're very close for a very long time. How does he manifest? I, I wish you could come to the Hollywood Bowl tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Bernard, look, 
Bernard's spirit um, is the spirit of this. It's funny, like when Andrew Lloyd Webber and I are talking about the play and I say, you know, little Nile, that young boy is the spirit of, of this play. It's mm -hmm. the spirit of this book. Even though I'm 66 years old now, I'm still little Nile. Mm -hmm. I'm this inquisitive kid. Put. That just, I'm put. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and when Bernard and I met, we were inseparable. And the fact that he left this earth, um, the way that I describe it in the book is 100% honest. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, I did not make that story up mm -hmm. uh, to, to have a great read. Uh, and when I told that, to the police um, in uh, Japan that, uh, you know, I asked them about the earthquake that we had the night before. And they mm -hmm. said, what earthquake? Mm -hmm. I said, I was thrown out of my bed and I was holding on to, to something that felt like a balloon and it was lifting me up and mm -hmm. I'm afraid of heights. And mm -hmm. I got so high that I just had to let it go. Oh my and goodness. And I hit the ground and the, the, um, the, the coroner, took my story and he changed the time of death to correspond to the story that I told him because I said, I look back at the clock when I let go of that thing, that balloon or whatever was carrying me up into the sky and I let go and I looked at the clock and I said, ugh, because I didn't think Bernard had died. I said, ugh, now I got to stay awake until tomorrow because we had a television show to do. And uh, and the coroner changed that time to yeah. the time of death. That's when it happened. That's Felt when it, it happened. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Do you, have you always been uh, spiritual? Do you have a spiritual practice now? No. You don't? <laughs> Picking up the guitar is about as spiritual mm -hmm. as I And it is. It yeah. absolutely is. But this sort of, this sense of um, of knowing, which you just described in, uh, in, uh, with uh, Bernard's passing, uh, has that always, have you always recognized that? I I sort of saw it through other people's eyes. I told the story because for me, the facts are the facts. And then let the other people decipher the facts. When I saw that doctor who is a man of science, but also as a man of spirit, mm -hmm. when he changed that death certificate to that time, just based on my story, I was like, wow. That's that's pretty deep. Um, yeah. And it affected me a lot. I told that to his children. I sat them around a circle and I told them, you know, what had happened. Um, and I, I was in tears because I felt like the greatest um, influence, my greatest musical influence was now gone. And for the rest of my life, I have to be Nile and Bernard. Yeah. I can't just be Nile anymore mm -hmm. because... Bernard did something to uh, my compositions because usually the song started with me. I mean, he he has no problem admitting that. Bernard had eight million kids. I'm a mm -hmm. bachelor. You know, like, <laughs> every every time I call him, he's like, uh, yeah. I'm up at I'm partying all yeah. night. I I remember um, I went from. The, you know, right from an after hours club to, to the recording studio many times. Mm -hmm. um, so the soul of Bernard to me is always in our music. And I believe, uh, especially when you listen to 
the last record, um, you could feel that we were starting to develop. We were experimenting. We were looking for something. And, you know, it's going to sound crazy, but one of the proudest moments of my life is when we put that record out and Prince put out an album and Prince does his music video. And in his music video, he's holding the Chic album, dancing around with wow. him in the garage of wow. the Yellow Lotus. Yeah. And I'm like going, you know, if that's if that's what Prince thinks about you, like, I'm done. I'm- I love it. You know, and it, and it just goes, history has proven that love conquers fear in that the disco sucks era was about fear and fear of movement and spirit. And, you know, history has proven that your music still lives today and it's just as fresh today. It is so fabulous. I am the biggest chic fan, the biggest chic fan. (laughs) And I am so happy you came by to talk to us today. Thank you. And I just, I'm honored to call you my friend. Yeah, I, you know, from the moment you and I met, there was something very, very magical. You, you, you're that guy. Like when, when Debbie and Chris said, you don't know RuPaul? <laughs> it was almost like, what did I do wrong? Like, 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 that's synonymous with cool. I was like, okay, okay. That's, that's uh, great. It was just lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, you have a great soul, a great intellect, and you just had a vibe. It was just... That you you epitomized that that time period that thing that we had that was just so it's like like the Wizard of it was like magic man. it's magic it's like we we can't we I. I uh, All roads it, are leading yeah. back. Well, you know, you to know, you opening a disco. Well, I want to open a disco. <laughs> yeah. You know, Listen, I, I want not to kidding. Just talk about four things. Yeah. And opening a disco is the first thing I want to talk about. I yeah, would love that. And, and I would love that. In London, because kids still dance. They London. do. They do oh, still yeah. dance big in London. Time. And make it a big success. Yeah. And then bring it here. I love it. I love it. I'd be there all the time. It'd probably have to be a daytime disco because I'm in bed at 8.30 at night. (laughs) (laughs) The new RuPaul. Yeah, right? (laughs) That's totally fine because I'm I'm telling you, step one to your thought about maybe there's a way to get back there, step one is just to open a disco. Mm -hmm. He's been talking about it for years. Oh, for years, for years. I know it's inevitable. Yes, good. And and I'll, I'll, I'll put the money down. Good, good. We'll we'll do it. All right. So you guys out there listening, you know, the book is called uh, Now Rogers La Freak. You guys should pick this up. It's it is so fabulous, so beautifully written, so many great stories about you know your favorites and uh, your favorite songs and Madonna and David Bowie and Greatest Debbie Harry. Everybody's in there. So um, and then if you can catch these guys on tour. Uh, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the music to, to do this thing. Thank you so much, Niall. Thank you, Rue. Great Lovely. to see you. Thank and you. Michelle Visage. Yes, that was amazing. I just got school. I, you know, just an amazing You got school? Got school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, baby. Till next time. Yes, Bye. Bye. <laughs> can I get an amen? If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Amen.